Hi guys, Liz Wheeler here. So I sat down and talked to Dr. Bert Folsom, who is a former Hillsdale history professor, and he might hold the unique distinction of being the oldest person in the conservative movement that all the young conservatives still think is super, super cool. If you go to a Young America's Foundation conference, he's actually the most popular person there. So I talked to him about what the students are most interested in talking to him about. And he was telling me about economic history. I know the phrase sounds maybe boring, maybe bland, maybe vanilla. But he was talking about how all of the things the radical left is trying to pull off now, like Build Back Better and the Inflation Reduction Act and Medicare for All, all of these things we've actually tried in our history before. And spoiler alert, they don't work. I also ask him, as a former Hillsdale history professor, I know Hillsdale is different, but should parents still send their children to college? Should young adults decide, should they go to college? Is it worth it? Or is higher education so corrupted that it's not even worth your time or your money anymore? If you want early access, exclusive early access to interviews just like this one, join us on Locals at LizWheelerShow.com slash Locals. It's not just exclusive early access to interviews. That's a benefit. You also get ad-free episodes over there on Locals. So LizWheelerShow.com slash Locals. If you use my promo code, access. You can watch for free for your first month. LizWheelerShow.com slash locals. Here's Dr. Bert Folsom. Hi, guys. We are here in Washington, D.C. We are at the Young America's Foundation College Student Conference this summer. There are hundreds and hundreds of kids here, of students from all over the country. And it's been a really fun week. I've been here all week. We've been filming shows here. We've been, we filmed some verdict with Ted Cruz here. We've done interviews with a lot of the speakers. And Sitting with me right now is actually the longest serving speaker for the Young America's Foundation in the entire history, Dr. Bert Folsom. Bert, thanks for being here. I'm glad to be here, Liz. That's quite that's quite a resume item. That's quite an accomplishment to be the longest serving speaker. It was uh, Young America's Foundation in the 1980s was just a startup group. They only did one conference per year. And they made a big deal of the summer college conference, and I was involved with it. And it's been fascinating to watch Ron Robinson and now Governor Walker grow that organization. And, and also, by the way, I should have noticed, or I should have noted this: you're also the favorite speaker. Uh, sometimes. <laughs> I think most of the time. I mean, as you know, they uh, YAF hands out surveys afterward and asks oh. the students who they like, and you're always on the top. That <laughs> nice. So, uh, why do you think that is? Why do you think that the kids like to hear from you the best? Well, uh, because I'm youthful about their same age. <laughs> <laughs> that they see someone who's Totally, I just appear. <laughs> okay. um, I, I, I have my speculation of why. You will have to ask them, but I think it's because not only do you come with the information that arms them to understand our ideology and the movement, but also because you are so invested in who they are personally. You sit down with them at dinner and you talk to them and about their families and about their and listen to their questions and get to know them to the point that you remember them at the next conference. I think it's important when talking with the students to figure out what do they really need the most that I might be able to have or at least get quickly acquire the knowledge I have being uh, teaching history. And so that if I can if I can line that up, it works where I can see that this is needed. Like right now, race is such a big issue that I have to pull that together. What is it that I can give them to help them with the issue of race, which is CRT that they're facing on campus? Usually it's economics, and that's yeah. my field, economic history. And so you look at decades. Why did the 1920s, why was it so successful? Why was the 1930s such a failure economically? the Great yeah. Depression. And we look at the policies, we compare them. And I think that sticks in the student's mind. This worked, this doesn't work. And then they can apply that to today's economic policies and say, aha, we tried this before, it didn't work, it probably won't again. 
which is, well, obviously more concrete because it's real than, <laughs> than simply comparing the abstract political arguments. Exactly. I want to get into that a little bit more in a minute because I, I, I think, I mean, clearly we're facing this assault on, on capitalism from the radical left. But before that, so your history is you're a history professor. Yes. At Hillsdale. Hillsdale College. For a long time. Hillsdale has a phenomenal history program. Um, a lot of people in this day and age, both students and parents, because universities have become so woke, I mean, woke even compared to when I was in college 10 or 15 years ago, some people wonder, is it even worth going to college at all or a college that tends to be liberal? What are your thoughts on this coming from being a scholar, being a historian, understanding the value of education? When I was going to college, it really didn't make much difference because uh, there was a bias, of course, toward the liberal view. But a lot of my professors were open. And so if I would make conservative statements and support them, they would say, well, what do you think, students? You know, what do you think about this? And even though they wouldn't agree with it, they would enjoy the discussion. That, unfortunately, has tended to disappear today. And so it is a difficult situation for students going and having their views challenged directly by the professor without giving any credibility to alternate points of view. That is a challenge, Liz, and it's something that parents and students have to be aware of. And when they make decisions about what college they want their child to go to, if they want the child to go at all, they have to take that tremendously into consideration. Hillsdale College is just exploding with enrollments, mm -hmm. at, at least applications. We can't take everybody because people want to get away from the political correctness and the woke culture that you've just talked about. And that, that's that been the case even since I was in college where the professors no longer want to debate. They, they, they want to squash you. They don't want to entertain alternative viewpoints or um, yeah. engage in that logic. But the difference between a decade ago and now is that there's a culture of, well, cancel culture on right. campus. And that did not exist to the extent even 10 years ago that it does now. And so it's not just a matter of, oh, are you going to get downgraded on a paper? Are you going to become the target of your professor? It's, are other students on campus essentially going to try to tar and feather you? And that, that to me, I mean, my daughter's only 18 months old. She's not quite ready for college. <laughs> but that to me, even as a parent of a young child, that environment is not someplace that I would want my young adult child to be. It may not last long. In other words, you talked about the change in the last decade that you've seen in your own, from your education to today. But uh, by the time your uh, 18-month-old child gets to college, I think we may have so much online education and so many different alternatives to the traditional college that it may actually be easier for your daughter, it's a daughter. Yes, right? It'll yes. be easier for your daughter than it will have been for you or for the current students. It may only be a one decade or so long crisis, but while it's here, it is a tremendous crisis and students have to be very careful what they get into. And a lot of them are, are trying to do it by taking certain courses at a community college. Yeah. Often, often community colleges and tech schools, are a, you're able to navigate much better than traditional four-year state institutions. Yeah, which is a very interesting phenomenon. Uh, I, I personally think it's both financially and ideologically smart yes. to do that. I would encourage students to do that if they can, if they possibly can. Um, let's pivot to the economy for a second. So right now, we are seeing this assault on the free market system, on capitalism. I mean, you can look at any of these very powerful activist organizations like Black Lives Matter. They actually say they want to abolish capitalism. Do you believe that this is the viewpoint of the Democratic Party, of the left in general, that they actually want to dismantle a capitalistic free market system in our country? 
A lot of them do. I think they're, some of them are, are confused. But the effects of moving in the direction we're moving is that that will not only ruin the free market economy, but ultimately ruin the United States, because no socialist economy is able to last very long. In other words, not only will you, the United States not be an economic power, we will not even be an independent nation. So uh, we, we have a way to go before we go down that road. But the current road that you're suggesting the left wants us to go down will take us there, yes. And what are some what are some of the economic lessons that we can learn? I know that our country is relatively young, and we have tried in various uh, eras in our country under various administrations, presidents. We have tried different economic policies. What can we learn so that people today, especially young people, can understand that the left's the left's demonizing of capitalism and the right supporting the free market aren't just abstract Twitter battles that that, that right. we, we've tried this and one thing works and one thing doesn't. We absolutely see that. In the 1920s, when we had exploding debt from World War I and the Progressive Era, and then also 12% unemployment, Harding and Coolidge just said, okay, we're going to do two things. We're going to cut tax rates in half, more or more than in half in some cases, and we're going to uh, cut the, national, uh, the annual budget. I mean, isn't that a shock? I mean, today... Can you see, imagine if someone proposed that out today? of the box, more than half. <laughs> the annual budget was cut. I mean, all farm subsidies were thrown out. We had a government steel company. It was closed down. Uh, so all sorts of things were cut. And we went for literally cutting the national budget in half and cutting tax rates in half. In two years, we had unemployment of 2%. We went from 12 to 2%. And we had a flurry of inventions. We, you know, radio, you get uh, in the 1920s, air conditioning. Uh, you get, then, then one invention leads to another. We get air conditioning. And so movie theaters, which were the first inst entity to be uh, air conditioned, uh, we got to talking movies. See, yeah. because now that we have more attendance, we can uh, experiment in that direction. And so one, uh, you have low tax rates. Entrepreneurs are able to keep the capital that they invest. And so they're able to keep going. And it was an exploding economy. And so it, it was the most prosperous economy, one of the most prosperous decades in American history. We did the equivalent of adding California and Texas to the national economy in one decade. That's phenomenal. And kids aren't taught, kids aren't taught this, this history. Well, then we undid it because Hoover and Roosevelt started in intruding the federal government. We, the Federal Reserve tinkered with interest rates. We had a high tariff that restricted imports. Then we raised the income tax. And then when Roosevelt came in, he raised income taxes even more up to the point, very few people know it was this high, it was 94% on all income over $200,000. Well, I wonder why the Great Depression persisted. Oh my God. I wonder why entrepreneurs aren't getting in. They get to keep 6%. And so they don't invest, and so it perpetuates. And, and so these are the kinds of lessons. When you see those rates going up, there's huge consequences for that happening. And we see that with Bernie Sanders and others today making those proposals. They've never worked. We've always had high unemployment when it's happened. We cut the rates. We free up the economy. Entrepreneurs emerge. The investments take place. So how would that? How would you apply that to what we're seeing today with this recession that shall not be called a recession, <laughs> <laughs> and the Federal Reserve responding by increasing the interest rate by seventy-five points? Yes, uh, or, or you could ratchet it back at administration and said this recovery that we won't call a recovery. Yes. <laughs> a trans recovery. <laughs> because we cut, we cut the tax rate. 
Again, yeah. tr uh, President Trump was doing s many of the same things that Coolidge had done and Reagan did before him. And sure enough, it, we start attracting capital back from abroad. We, we had a tremendous reduction of people getting food stamps and on unemployment. And we had uh, relative prosperity in the economy. And then we began to change the maneuvers and it starts moving in the other direction. So what we're seeing with the last two administrations parallel what we saw a little bit with, say, Coolidge and then later with Roosevelt. What do you consider to be the point of no return for our economy when we are every day experiencing these attacks on capitalism? That's a good question. And I can't really answer that. And I don't like to think about it. <laughs> we have to, in a sense, though. It is depressing. But... It is depressing, but people, this is where history helps, because when I read the 30s and 40s, the people who were, were we politically conservative people were in despair. And many of them said, it's too late. The income tax, which has went up to 94% on all income over $200,000, they said, it's, it's always gone up. It's never, never really gone down. Mm -hmm. And then what they didn't realize, that once Roosevelt died, you had a conservative Congress that slashed the rates, they slashed the corporate rates, huge recovery, and the post-war recovery was there. In other words, everybody was saying, it's too late, we'll never get rid of this high interest rate, uh, high interest rates on or the Federal Reserve has on investment, and then the high tax rates, but we did, we did. And so I thought, that, that gives me optimism. It gives me encouragement because I was born right after that and I got to live a full, good life and achieve the dreams I wanted to be, to be a college professor. The students can do the same thing. And I don't know where the point of no return is, but I know that it's amazing how quickly you can turn around a bad situation with good economic policies. Which I guess, I mean, not to, not to sound too, uh, too much like a, a lecturing mom here, I guess that's kind of the point of what we're doing here is to deputize these students to make sure that no yes. matter how bad it gets when they're in college, no matter what these policies, how destructive these policies are under the current administration, that they can come in and they can they can they can slash those they can slash those rates too. They can, they can. And I mean, Liz, you've seen in your own life. You you, you talk about you you grew up. You got interested in politics mm -hmm. under the Obama administration. Mm -hmm. You went to college. You you had some auto an audio immune disease, but yeah. you got through, you got through Penn State, and then, then all of a sudden it's, you know, the lights are on, and then you, you start running with these ideas, and we need people like you were 10 years ago, and these students are now, who can pick these, uh, go with these ideas, run with them, and make a difference. Uh, projecting ideas clearly and enter in an entertaining way will really draw these students, and it's going to be up to you and your generation to try to help the next one's along so that we can preserve the liberty that uh, we have had for 250 years. What would you say is the number one piece of advice that you either do or would give to these students? Uh, I would say don't get discouraged and always think that we are in a political culture here uh, because we, the elites have abandoned the uh, God. And so we have the elites have abandoned God, and government is then the solution because is the replacement. So that's happening. But at another level, we've lost our history. If we can get our history back, and we can we can maintain our freedom, and just because the elites have abandoned God doesn't mean that God is dead, and we have another power that's also operating in this. And I would tell the students, you can you can uh, you learn history, you 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 study the past, 
and you can gain that information that and, and God can open doors and then you can prevail and begin to make a difference. You have to have a vision bigger than yourself in your career. You have a fight for ideas is, is part of that. And uh, I would encourage these students, as I do, that uh, you can make a difference. You can make a difference in your classroom. I've seen students who've come back after one year later and they say, I was able to talk with my professor. And several students came up and said, I never heard those ideas before. And it's exciting. You're part of that too, Liz. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is why he's the favorite speaker here, because it is well-deserved. <laughs> if you want to have exclusive early access to interviews just like this one, you can join us at the Liz Wheeler Show community on Locals. It is very intuitively lizwheelershow.com slash locals. If you use my promo code ACCESS, then you can get your first month free on your annual subscription, lizwheelershow.com slash locals. Dr. Folsom, thank you for sitting down. This was really thank a delight you. to talk to you. Thank you, Liz. I'm very glad to be with you.